Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is Brian Lair's Daily Politics Podcast from WNYC Studios. It's Friday, November 3rd. I'm Bridget Bergen, senior reporter in the WNYC and Gothamist newsroom, filling in for Brian today. Ten days ago, House Republicans picked a new speaker. Louisiana's Mike Johnson was elected by the majority to lead the chamber. He was the party's fourth nominee after weeks of struggling to find a candidate. And it's been an interesting first week and a half on the job. Johnson has had to contend with dueling efforts to censure Democrat and Republican members. We're talking Congress members Rashida Tlaib of Michigan and Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia. Oh, and perhaps you've heard a little something about a group of freshman Republicans from New York who were so fed up with their colleague George Santos and the newest fraud charges he faces that they introduced a resolution to expel him from the House. That's a pretty big deal. Only five other members in the history of the House have been kicked out like that. Spoiler alert, Santos is still in Congress and no one was censured. But that is just a small sliver of the news coming out of the House this week. Just yesterday, the House passed a bill tying $14.3 billion in military aid for Israel to spending cuts here at home. That bill also zeroes out aid to Ukraine, putting it on a crash course with the Senate. There is a lot to unpack here about what is going on and who this new leader driving it all is. And fortunately, my first guest is just the right person to help us understand it all. Kadia Goba covers Congress for Semaphore. Kadia, welcome back to WNYC. So great to catch up with you here. Thanks for having me, Bridget. It's good to talk to you. Yeah. Let's start with the latest news on the aid package for Israel. It was sponsored by Speaker Johnson. It passed by a vote of 226 to 196, but it includes cuts to the Internal Revenue Service. There were people crying during the vote. What is going on there? Yeah, there is a lot of house drama that's the least I could say about what's <laughs> happening. Um, yesterday, as you said, they took a vote, uh, $14.3 billion aid to Israel to aid in their military. Um, however, those they coupled the bill with some IRS cuts. Democrats are not happy about it. And they overwhelmingly voted against the measure. However, there are some Jewish Democrats who took it very personally and thought that Mike Johnson, the new speaker, was like personally attacking them by coupling these uh, this aid together with these IRS cuts. You had members crying coming off the floor, as I mentioned in a piece I did today, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. uh, She was crying. I spoke to Greg Landsman of Ohio. He was also crying and he had some pretty strong words um, suggesting that, you know, the speaker should actually talk to him if he wants to talk about the Bible. This is not how this works. So people were personally conflicted about this. Wow, that that sounds like, I mean, is that a, a that type of emotion? I mean, these are incredibly serious issues, but have you seen anything like that in your time covering Congress so far, that kind of emotional response to a vote? I've been here since 2019 and um I would say the only time I ever saw members 
expressed any kind of emotion like that was behind things related to January 6th. And of, of course, on the day of uh, on the day of January 6th. But ultimately, hmm. 12 Democrats did vote in favor of it. And some of them argued, though, however, Bridget, that this was just a ploy for Republicans to later spit out, you know, campaign cards that say they're anti-Jewish or anti-Israel. And they they claimed it wasn't an opportunity. They wasn't going to fall into that bait or hmm. It fall into that trap. Uh, I had members texting me, yeah, it's a trap. I'm not going to do it. So, I mean, take that into consideration as well. Wow. well I want to take a moment uh, and, and let, let's let hear what Speaker Johnson had to say about this legislation. He defended it at a press conference yesterday. Here's a little of what he said. Provides Israel the aid it needs to defend itself, free its hostages, and eradicate Hamas, which is a mission that must be accomplished. All of this, all of this, while we also work to ensure responsible spending and reduce the size of the federal government to pay for that commitment to our friend and ally. Kitty, what does this legislation tell you about Johnson in terms of his priorities, how he plans to lead in the House and, and potentially how he plans to strategize uh, when he is pushing legislation? I think this was a carefully crafted measure on the part of the new speaker. Uh, there is, I mean, there was unanimous support for aid to Israel. So that wasn't a question. But him putting up the measure of the IRS ta tax cut at the same time suggests to me that he's going to be savvy. He is uh, determined to get his agenda across. And I think, you know, Democratic members have something to contend with there. This is, to me, this was a win for the, the new speaker. Interesting. Certainly, this aid package that passed the House yesterday is something that Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer had previewed was a no-go for the Senate. Here are some of his comments from Tuesday that you know, he's more or less been repeating since the vote. It makes it much, much harder to pass aid for Israel. It's insulting that the hard right is openly trying to exploit the crisis in Israel to try and reward the ultra-rich. The new speaker knows perfectly well that if you want to help Israel, you can't propose legislation that is full of poison pills. And this kind of unnecessarily partisan legislation sends the wrong message to our allies and adversaries around the world. It's almost as if the real goal of this House GOP package is not to help Israel, but to get tax relief for the super wealthy, while leaving out Ukraine aid, leaving out humanitarian aid for Gaza, leaving out funding for the Indo-Pacific. So, Kadia, you know, again, this legislation seems all but doomed in the Senate, you know, not getting any support from the majority leader, I think, to some extent, raising concerns with uh, the minority leader, Mitch McConnell, because that Ukraine aid is also not included. How do you see this moving forward? Yeah, so that's a good question. I think, and I reported this, of the, the 12 members in the House, Democrats in the House who voted, I know some of them are banking on this just completely failing in the House. I'm sorry, in the Senate. So that was part of their motivation. Like, yeah, I'll talk this, I'll take the soft, the hard vote now, but I know that Senate Democrats or the 
Democratic-led Senate will ultimately take this portion of it out. I'm imagining that's happening. That's what the scuttlebutt on the Hill is. Mm. Um, But, I mean, they do need a significant amount of votes to get this passed, so we will see. But that that is the framing right now that Democrats will ultimately smash the uh, IRS portion out of the out of the bill. And so but potentially this could be kind of a round and round between the House and the Senate that could go on for, you know, how long? What does this mean in terms of when Israel could potentially get aid or when Ukraine could potentially get aid? You know, that was the argument against Johnson's move is some said, well, why not do this? Pass a clean bill to fund Israel, immediately pass it in the Senate. Why do we have to go back and forth? So what's going to happen just for your listeners? It'll go to the Senate. The Senate will, you know, if they take out the IRS measure to it, they'll come back to the House. And then you'll have Republicans who just feel like they can't vote for the bill. Um, It's not clear if Republicans will pass it. It, it, They'll feel that they can't vote for the bill because they're not getting anything out of it. So Mm. it's I don't think it'll be, you know, a constant going back and forth. But this process did delay it could have been automatically we Senate could have passed that bill today and then it would have been on Biden's desk by, you know, end of day or tomorrow. But ultimately, I think Israel is is paying for this. Sure. While they jockey the political, you know, measures between the two parties right now. I want to bring some listeners into this conversation. Let's talk to Bobby in Union City, New Jersey. Bobby, thanks for calling WNYC. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, I'd like to ask your guest. Uh, Several days ago, uh, Brian Lehrer had a guest on his show. Uh, uh, I believe the person, a a woman from uh, Colorado, I believe, an official, who's attempting to bring suit against the former President Trump, barring him from participating in an election Uh, based on a provision in the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. It involves insurrection. And I'm wondering if this suit has any merit or teeth. Um, And also in the provision, the person does not have to be convicted of insurrection, just accused. And I'm wondering if it's possible to use that provision against Mike Johnson since he was part of that attempt to overthrow the 2020 election. Bobby, thanks so much for your question and for your call. Um, This show did have the Colorado Secretary of State on and they did talk about that lawsuit uh, the Colorado Secretary of State is Jenna Griswold. Um, Kadia, I know you don't cover Colorado, so I wouldn't expect you to necessarily be able to answer that. Jump in however you want. But I do know that you have been writing about some of the attacks that the Democrats have made on Johnson and his positions, including his position on uh, whether or not he supported the election in twenty, the results of the 2020 election. So can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, some of that, those issues that Democrats have been raising and to the extent that, you know, people are you know, skeptical of some of his leadership? Yeah. So I think the difference obviously is Trump, you know, he's being accused of inciting uh, the insurrection, whereas Johnson 
is one of many uh, Republicans who voted to deny uh, Joe Biden the electoral count or suggested that voted against um, giving Joe Biden the election. There, that is one of the attacks that Democrats are have been, you know, since day one, <laughs> pushing out. Um, many of them focus on his record. Um, he is, you know, he has come out as saying he's personally believes that, you know, the, the sanctity of marriage belongs between a man and a woman. And also, you know, that he is 100% pro-life. So Democrats, of course, have used, these are some of the key issues that we saw in 2022. So of course, they're going to take this as the leader, the new leader of the Republican Party. And, you know, you'll probably see some of those vulnerable Republicans of like Anthony D'Esposito or George Santos, mm. um, a picture side by side with, uh, you know, Mike Johnson, Speaker Mike Johnson saying, you know, well, um, this is an extreme MAGA Republican. They're already calling him MAGA Mike. So it makes them it makes him a very good tool for Democrats in terms of campaigns. Sure. Um, I think Jim Jordan would have been a bigger <laughs> uh, uh, tool for that kind of campaigning, but he still has very conservative views that Democrats will be able to run on in the 2024 election. I, I want to talk about some of the other uh, efforts to sanction members of the House. Uh, I think it was the same day that there was uh, that vote to table the measure against Tlaib. There was a vote to oust Queensland Long Island Congress member George Santos. He is, of course, facing uh, 23 criminal counts of wire fraud, uh, credit card fraud, identity theft, filing false documents, and more. Uh, he has pleaded not guilty and is scheduled to go to trial next September. His expulsion measure was pushed by Republican members of his own delegation. Here's a little bit from Long Island Congressman Anthony D. Esposito, who was pushing the expulsion measure on the House floor. All you have to do is look at the lies and deceptions in the resolution and details of the indictments, multiple indictments, to see that Mr. Santos is a stain on this institution and not fit to serve his constituents in the House of Representatives. And, you know, here's a little bit of Santos arguing against that resolution also from the House floor. I hope that the House will understand the scope of this vote and have the courage to do what is right not what is politically expedient. I stand firmly in my innocence and my passion to represent the people of New York's third district as the voters would have, if the voters would continue to have me. Kadia, that measure, of course, also failed, 213 to 179. And part of the reason it failed was 31 Democrats sided with Republicans to block the measure. What were you hearing about why those Democrats voted against expelling Santos? It's interesting because some of them said that we are the party of law and we understand that you the, there's a presumption of innocence or he has not been convicted. So therefore, we cannot put him out. It is not up to us. Another argument was it was not up to us to dispel him. He was duly elected by 750,000 uh, constituents. Um, so they just didn't feel that it was right. But 
also I talked to, I talked to some members who said, well, to be clear, we don't think George Santos is innocent at all. However, it is just not it does not set a great precedence that we are, you know, convicting people before they are actually convicted. Hmm. The House Ethics Subcommittee investigating Santos gave a little preview and update this week that they would be wrapping their work soon and gave November 17th as a date when they plan to announce next steps. Um what are you hearing about what those next steps might be? Any signals about the kind of report they might be putting out? And and what do you think the appetite uh, is for some of those folks who might have opposed the expulsion resolution ahead of seeing the work of the Ethics Committee? So a lot of people are saying that the Ethics Committee coming out a day before the vote was going to come on the floor gave a lot of Republicans some cover to say, well, you know, my colleagues in the Ethics Committee have already, they've done all this work. I think they have 130,000 pages of, you know, uh, content on the topic or on George Santos specifically and all the allegations. So why not let this play out? That is was the sentiment on the Republican side. And like you said, November 17th, I don't foresee, I don't know if they expect him to resign because I don't think that is going to be the case. He has given no signal that he will resign. And secondly, I don't, you know, I I think it would be embarrassing for Republicans to put another vote on the floor. I'll have you, Bridget, this is the third time this is, this will be the third time this has has come to the floor. They've done it two times already. So (laughs) I don't know how, I I just don't think it'll be a good look if they, if they reintroduce an expulsion resolution. We're going to take one more caller, Darla in Brooklyn. Darla, thanks for calling the Brian Lair show this morning. What's your thoughts on uh, Congressman Santos? Congressman Santos has issues even in South America, fraud issues that he is awaiting there to be to, to be dealt with in the courts. My question is this then: If the Speaker of the House claims he's using the Bible to make decisions, I'm very scared because. You have Menendez. Why are they going after Menendez then? What's the difference between Menendez and, 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 and Santos? That Menendez is an older man and he's run out his time so he can go. But let's keep Santos as a younger man. If this man is using the Bible, then he's justifying slavery also because the Bible was used to justify slavery. You can't have the Bible and decide this Santos is okay, but let's move Menendez, let's move this other one and the other one. We had better be careful with this man running in there with a Bible. Mm. Darla, thank you for your call. Uh, you know, Kadia, that comparison to the two members who are you know, calling for the ouster of Congressman Santos, but perhaps not calling it for New Jersey Senator uh, Bob Menendez, um, it is not an unfair contrast. It's something that uh, Congressman Santos alluded to himself during that floor debate when he was defending himself. Um, are you hearing much of that from members as they talk about these issues? Yeah, I want to make one point of clarification. Speaker Johnson was very clear about not losing another person in their slim majority. 
And, you know, he talked about giving the presumption of innocence to Santos. So this was an effort pushed by New York Republicans, his own colleagues, specifically D'Esposito and the people we named earlier um, to oust Santos. That was the argument that some of them made, exactly what the listener pointed out, that they didn't want to set a precedent because there are members on the Democratic side who are also under investigation or have been indicted and have their own trials to bear. That is something several members have brought up to me they that they would look hypocritical if they voted to oust George Santos when their senatorial colleague is in this very same position mm. in the chamber. Well, before I let you go, Kadia, I'm going to read you a couple more of the text messages we got in on this question because uh, so fascinating. Uh, we got a listener who wrote, also in Lawler's district in Ossining, I'm super engaged politically, didn't hear about this measure until this segment today. It feels like he's just trying to score points in advance of the election next year, not acting out of a sense of integrity. It doesn't change my resolve to vote him out next year. I care much more about the bad votes he's made in issues that impact me and my neighbors. Uh, A little contrast to the listener who we heard, uh, Christine in Pearl River. Uh, And I'll give you one more. Uh, Santos is my representative. The person wrote, actually, Santos is my misrepresentative. I respect the other New York reps for bringing the resolution. I'm disappointed Santos will continue misrepresenting me for seemingly another year. Um, We have a lot more, but that's all I think we have time for right now. Um, I should note that uh, Congressman Santos uh, does have a trial scheduled. He will be back in court for a status conference in December, a trial date next September. Um, and certainly at that point, it will be un- he will still be in office, but may potentially be uh, not the Republican nominee because he faces Republican challengers and that primary is in June. So a ton to watch, but we'll, we'll leave it there for now. My guest has been Kadia Goba, who covers Congress for Semaphore. Kadia, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thanks for having me. So fascinating. Makes me want to cover New York politics again. Maybe we can get you back from D.C., back to New York, and and, and join all of the the New York politics teams here. The more, the merrier. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.